Well, friends, if we could, just for a short time this evening, turn back to the chapter that we read together, John chapter 3. I'd like us to take their text, familiar words, I'm sure, to all of us, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. What we have before us here, friends, is undoubtedly the most famous text in the whole of Scripture. Whether we're Christians or not, whether we've even had a upbringing in a Christian home or not, I think it's fair to say that this is a a verse that is known throughout the whole world. And of course there's a very good reason for this. It was Martin Luther that said that this is a verse that within it is a little Bible in itself. John 3.16 is the gospel of Jesus Christ In a nutshell, within this one verse, what we have contained is God's rescue plan for mankind, that great plan of redemption. C.H. Spurgeon, the the Baptist preacher, he said that the, the contents of this verse were effectively the sole topic of his ministry, and so it should be. For me and for every preacher of the gospel, this should be central to each and every message that we preach. And although it's a a verse that's familiar to all of us here tonight, it's nonetheless a, a verse that we need to keep coming back to. Whether we've been on the road for 30, 40, 50, 60 years as Christians, whether we're Christians or not at all, this is a a verse that is so so full of Christ that we we do well to come back to it and to remind ourselves of exactly who we are and what we're all about. It's so easy for us to forget. It's so easy for us to lose sight of the main thing. It's so easy for us to get bogged down in, in secondary issues so that we forget that, that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. And so what I'd like us to do, just for a short time, is to go through this verse together. We're going to walk through this verse together, and as we do so, we're going to see that this is a verse that is so bursting with teaching and application. A verse that no matter what stage we're at in the Christian walk, or even if we're not on that walk at all, it has so much to teach us. It's a verse that's full of hope. And isn't it true, friends, that we need hope? As we reflect on the world around us, as we put on the news day by day, we, we find ourselves submerged in what appears to be hopelessness, helplessness. People, even in this town, perhaps even in this building tonight, desperately looking for hope, looking for something to cling on to looking for that meaning and purpose, that direction in life, that very reason to live. Well, here we have it. 
Here we have it in John 3.16. Now in terms of immediate context, we find this verse in the middle of a dialogue, a conversation. We have Jesus speaking to Nicodemus, this, this Pharisee, this religious leader, this ruler of the Jew, this man who was good at uh, dotting his eyes and crossing his teeth when it came to the law of God, but this man who nonetheless knew nothing of the God of the law. He was a Pharisee. He was one who was motivated by religion and not by relationship. He was one who sought to uh, esteem himself higher than others by the length of his prayers, by his uh, tithing by all that he did for his fellow mankind to see this was what motivated him as a Pharisee. But of course he was one who was completely missing the point. And we see this here in this dialogue. He's not been born of the Spirit. And because he's not been born of the Spirit, he, he, he can't understand what Jesus is saying. He might be very faithful and devout in the matters of the Lord, but when it comes to Jesus, he, he just can't see it. And so Jesus continues. He speaks to Nicodemus with these words in verse 14. And he says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. He's trying to show this man Nicodemus who he's speaking to. And in referring to this verse, he's, he's referring to that time when the Israelites were in the wilderness, that time that they'd strayed from God, that, that time that they were attacked by those deadly venomous snakes, that time where they were told that in order for them to be able to live, they were to look to this, this bronze serpent that was going to be lifted up they were to look to this bronze serpent with a look of faith. And if they looked to this bronze serpent, they would live. This act of faith would lead to them being healed. And of course, in the same way that the call here from Jesus to Nicodemus and to you and to me tonight is to look to Jesus. That's what we're called to do. Essentially, that is the crux of of the matter that is central to the verse that we have before us that we are all to look to Jesus but we're not just to look with any old look we're to look with that look of faith that look of faith that believes that believes that his grace is sufficient for us that in Jesus Christ we have all that we need not only for time but for eternity and so when we come to verse 16, we see that Jesus is really summing up what he said to Nicodemus at this point. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Now isn't that an astounding statement? For God so loved the world. Who's the world? Well, the world here is referring, it's a general term, referring to all of humanity. Why does he love all humanity? Is it tonight, because you and me with you, that we are particularly lovable? 
I don't think so. We only have to look within our own hearts and we see that so far from the truth. We know as a people we might be able to keep a lid on our sin outwardly. We might be able to to walk the walk and, and talk the talk. Yet the reality is that within the heart of every person in here tonight, myself included, is selfishness, is arrogance and is pride. We are a people who continually live for ourselves. We, we live not only for ourselves, but do we not live for the, the temporary things of this world? We might find it difficult to accept this. It's not really popular to be referred to as a sinner. We might say, well, yes, I make mistakes. I, I do things wrong. I'm not as as good as I would like to be, but I'm not quite that bad. I'm not as bad as that person. I'm certainly not as bad as that person or that person. And so we might say, well, yes, I'm not perfect, but I'm not a sinner. We're all sinners tonight. You and me with you. Imagine this. Imagine that every thought that you have ever had in your life was to be played on a screen and broadcast online. How would you feel? If you knew that this was going to happen. Every single thought you've ever had. Was open for not only this whole congregation. But this whole island to see. Your friends. Your loved ones. Your colleagues. Those you respect. I know if that was me. I would do everything in my power. To make sure that did not go out. Why? Because I'm ashamed of my thoughts. I'm ashamed of what's gone on in my heart and in my mind over the years. And I think we can all safely say that. Why? Because we're sinners. There's no dressing it up or, or uh, sugarcoating it. We are all sinners by nature. So it's not because we're lovable that God so loved the world. But yet he did love us. He does love us. And this is a surprising love. It's a, it's a counter-cultural love. And this speaks something of the God that we worship tonight. If people in our lives continually wrong us, what do we do? I think it's, it's fair to say that if there are those who, who turn their back on us, who treat us with contempt, those who perhaps make our lives a misery, they treat us unjustly, unfairly, if they mock us, if they ridicule us, we want to distance ourselves from them. We find it difficult, certainly, to show them any love and response. They don't deserve it. But not so with God. For God so loved the world, regardless of race, creed, or class this is a, a love that extends to every tribe, every nation, every tongue. This is an inclusive love. It's an inclusive love in that the gospel tonight is on offer to everyone, to the world, to all of humanity that they might be saved. It's even on offer to you tonight if you're yet to call Jesus your father and your friend. It doesn't matter what you've done doesn't matter what your past is. It doesn't matter how low you've stooped 
in terms of the depravity of your heart. This is a gospel that's for you. It's inclusive. And we see this love to humanity, do we not, in many different ways. Of course, a prime example, especially in our own context and culture here, is is the fact that we're blessed with temporal goods. We have a warm building here to worship to. We have, most, I'm sure of us here tonight, a home to go to and a fridge to open and plenty food therein. And if not, we'll, we'll find it. God blesses us and he meets our physical needs. He's continually and inclusively displaying his love generally to mankind. But he shows us love far more than that. And we see that in our verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Isn't that what love does? Love leads us to give. Those whom we love, we want to give to them. We want to give them our affection. We want to give them our time. We want to to give them our all. That's what love does. And that's what we see through the love of God. He, He displays this love through giving the most extraordinary gift. This this giving up this offering of his only son, as, as it's in the, in the older versions, his only begotten son, his unique son, his, his son that was one of a kind, and he gives this son to you and to me as an offering. A gift that the Apostle Paul describes as indescribable. Indescri- indescribable. This is a love that manifested itself in action. That's so important. You see, true love's willing to make sacrifices. We can say we love someone, we can say we love God even, and yet we're not willing to make any sacrifices for that person or, or even for our Saviour. But this is a love in action. A love that makes sacrifices. That's what we see with God as He, he sacrifices His only Son with whom He was well pleased. How does he do this? Well, he offers him up as a ransom. That screen that we thought about a minute ago, no doubt sent a shiver down her spine at the very thought of it. Well, someone had to pay the price for all those sins. Of course, the default position when we're born into this world is that we ourselves, we need to take responsibility. We're not good always at taking responsibility. We we like to blame others. That's the way we are by nature. But when it comes to our own sin, deep within our hearts, rooted within, there's no one else to blame but ourselves. And so we have to pay that price. Divine justice is... It has to be satisfied. Our sins, they have to be dealt with one way or another. And the only way that our sin can be dealt with is for uh, us to be punished in hell itself. Or is it? If that were the only way for our sins to be dealt with, we would despair 
There would be no point in me standing here tonight or you gathering here to worship. Because tonight, although we have bad news as we reflect upon who we are by nature, and we need to reflect upon the bad news before we can ever appreciate the good news, why do we need a saviour if we never really realise what we're being saved from? And tonight there is another way. Because the sacrificial love of God that we see here in this verse, it says no. I don't want you to bear that punishment of hell. I don't want you to spend eternity in the depths of hell itself. I don't want that for mankind. It's not my desire for you. Yes, I know that divine justice, it has to be satisfied. But there is another way. That punishment that should be yours, it's been taken by someone else. It's been taken by my son. That's why I've sent him into this world. That's why he was conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary. What condescension that God himself would be conceived in the womb of a sinful woman in a sinful world. That he would grow up with sinners like you and me rubbing shoulders doing life together, God incarnate. Isn't that love? The one who knew nothing but unbroken fellowship with the Father and the Spirit from eternity past, and here he is in time. That's love. And God says, I've sent my Son into this world to be rejected, to be beaten, to be flogged, to be spat upon, to be nailed to a tree, to die a slow and painful death. Why? Because I love you. I've given this gift of my son so that he will suffer what you ought to suffer. Because I love you. I've allowed my son to take the punishment of hell to himself and know what it is to be forsaken by me, that which should be yours, because I love you. And so that you might have that place prepared for you in heaven, in eternity, in your long home. Friends, that's true love. Stephen Lawson makes a point that the spring of love flows from its own eternal source in the eternal deity. This is a love that can only ever come from God. This is a love that can never ever be replicated by anyone in this world. My grandfather said this. My Shen used to always say this. There's not many people in this world on your side. And that's true. Who are really on your side. Who really intimately care about you. Your loved ones, your close ones, yes. But out with that, people by nature, myself included, we all care about ourselves. That's the way we are. Not God. And it's only his love that can ever give to us what we need. 
And so at this point we might be thinking, well, this is great, everyone will be saved. God so loved the world, everyone's going to be saved, no one needs to worry. Jesus has taken the curse of death for every single man and woman, boy and girl, whoever has and ever will be born into this world. And if that were true, I wouldn't be standing here tonight. Because what we have here in this verse, it's not speaking about universal salvation. That regardless, every single sinner will inherit eternal life. Sadly, some believe that. That's not what this verse is saying. Because we see the Apostle Paul using the term world in a similar way in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 19. He says, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Then he goes on in verse 20 to say, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. There's a pleading here, be reconciled to God. We implore you, we beg with you, be right with God. And so that tells us that we're not right with God. That this salvation, it's not for everyone. It's not a blanket salvation so that everyone's safe. And so what, when this word world is being used, it's, it's not universal. Otherwise there would be no need to implore anyone. Because although in one sense this is an inclusive love, in another very real sense, and we need to really lay hold of this, this is the centre of this text, this is an exclusive love. It's an inclusive love in that it's offered to everyone. But it's also an exclusive love. What do I mean by that? Well, it's exclusive because not everyone will experience it. Not everyone will know its immeasurable depths, its height, its breadth. Not everyone will know the fullness of the love in Christ. I was preaching this morning in Graver and we were thinking about the resurrection. He is not here for he is risen. And I was speaking about the tragedy of the Easter story. That is but a half-baked story. And that's what happens with commercial Christianity. Of course, it's good for us to remember the resurrection of, of Christ at Easter, absolutely. But when you take the real meaning of Easter out of that, it's a tragedy. And that's what happens. We can know about Jesus, but we don't know Jesus. We can know part of the story, but not the full story. And because of that, not everybody comes to know the depth of this love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. That's the key word. Whoever. Whoever. That's what makes this love 
an exclusive love. Whoever. It's a love that, that's known not by those who, who go to their deathbed rejecting Christ. It's a love that's not known by those who, who live a life in this world and who, who cry out day by day in their heart, I will not have this man to rule and to reign over me. This is not a love for them. It's an exclusive love and it's a, in that it's a love for those who believe in him. Not just believing about him. There's a world of difference. In fact, there's an eternity of difference. We can believe about Jesus. We believe in his miracles. We believe in all that we read about him in the, in the, in the Bible. We believe that Jesus existed. But we don't believe in him. We don't put our trust in him. We don't live our lives for him. Those who know him and know something of this sacrificial, redemptive love, they're the ones who believe in him. A depth of belief that goes so far and beyond the superficial. What do we read in Romans 10? That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, we do that. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. We can have all the religion we want, like Nicodemus did, we can tick the boxes week after week, but if we do not have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, we are not in him. What does a relationship look like? Well, one you love, you speak to, you spend time with, you listen to, you value what they have to say. Yes, we know we falter and we fail. We know that we don't uh, spend as much time as we would like to with our Lord and Saviour. That is true. But yet the depths of our being, if they were to be searched and to be known, would reveal that that is our desire. Even when we're not there, that is the longing of our heart. That we would be right with our God. That we would see Jesus. Believe in your heart. Tonight maybe you're struggling with this. And you're maybe listening to this and saying, well, I'm not a Christian. Well, if you're struggling with this and saying, I'm not a Christian, because it bothers you, I dare say you are. The natural man hates the things of God. It doesn't bother the natural man whether they're in Christ or out of Christ. They want to get out of church as quickly as possible. Get on with the next thing. But if you have that desire in your heart to be right with God in Christ, just remember this, that he who has begun the good work in you will bring it on. That's a promise. Will bring it on till the day of Jesus Christ. So I'm not your friends to discourage. But yet we know that this is a matter of the heart. A living relationship, a lively relationship with a living and a lively God, a freedom and a joy that brings union 
and communion with God through Christ. You know, sometimes perhaps we're scared. We're scared of this verse. We're scared of becoming Christians. We think that if we become a Christian, that that's it. Our lives will be over. And perhaps as Christians, we've been guilty of giving that impression that there's nothing desirable about being a Christian, that it's all doom and gloom. That's not God glorifying. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And of course, our lives change when we're in Christ. Of course, there are things that go to one side. But there's so much of life that we can now enjoy through that lens of Christ's redemptive love. Everything makes sense because we see that all of creation is a reflection of our creator God. God so loved the world. And he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. He doesn't want any to perish. That's why he gave his son such a costly gift to spare us from hell. We don't like to talk about hell, but it's a reality. And although we might think it's not kind to talk about hell, The most unkind thing for a preacher to do is to ignore the realities of hell. What is hell? We don't know. We don't know exactly what it's like. We praise God that we don't know what it's like because here we are on mercy's ground. But what we know is this, that hell is truth realised too late. Truth realised realized too late. Of course, the doctrine of hell might get her back up and we might say, well, how can a loving God send anyone to hell? We've heard that. We've maybe asked that question, or maybe you're asking that question just now, in your minds. How can a loving God send anyone to hell? But you know, friends, often in life, we're, we're asking the wrong questions. Maybe the question should be this. Why would anyone who wanted nothing to do with God in this world, who lived their lives only for themselves, why would they, if they couldn't bear to live a life with God in this world for 60, 70, 80, 90, even 100 years, why on earth would they want to spend eternity with him? It makes no sense. And so God, he will give you the desire of your heart. It's not that he is sending people to hell left, right and centre because he takes pleasure in it. He's giving you what you want. I don't want Christ in this world. I don't want Christ in the world to come. I want Christ now. Well, I want Christ forever. And that's why he's giving us his son. That's why he's giving us this hope. It's like if we would have a, an arch enemy in this world and, and yet we still expect when all is said and done, when it comes to the, cr- the crunch, that our enemy will provide for us, give us all we need. It just makes no sense. 
And so, friends, always take it back to ourselves. The gospel is here. It's for you, for each and every one of you. It doesn't matter how young or older you, you are. You might be in the twilight years of your life. You might be a teenager. You might think you've got your life ahead of you. You might, you might not. We don't know. But this gospel is for you. And what he's saying to you tonight is, I am offering you everlasting life. Everlasting life. Who doesn't want everlasting life? We all want everlasting life. That's why we we go to the doctor as soon as we have anything wrong with us. None of us want to die. We want to stay here as long as we possibly can. But yet the reality is, as the the resurrection has reminded us today on Easter Sunday, the fact is that if we are in Christ, our bodies will be united with our souls and they will live forever and ever and ever. The body that you have now, but perfected. Isn't that something? Everlasting life in heaven itself. Not an airy-fairy floaty place. That's not heaven. That's not the heaven of the Bible. Look at the creation of our God. It's soiled by sin. It's marred by sin. Look at its beauty. Look at the creativity of those whom he has created. Again, marred by sin. What's heaven going to be like without sin? All of this, but so much better. I think sometimes we're all guilty of perhaps thinking that heaven's not going to be quite as good as this world. And so that's why we want to hold on and hold on and hold on. That's true. But he's offering to us everlasting life. World without end. And that is a provision that you and me, we desperately need. And if we have that provision already in Christ, we need reminded of it. We need reminded of it so that we get perspective. We lose perspective we need the perspective of the cross to, keep, uh, to help us keep on keeping on. The question I have is this. With this I'm just nearly finished. Tonight, friend, are you part of the whoever? Whosoever believes in him. Is that you? And if it's not you tonight, in love, can I ask you, why is it not you? What is it in this world that you believe in more than Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour? What can this world possibly give to you that is better than what Christ is offering you tonight? This is a world that offers peace, peace, where there is no peace. A world that gives promises time and time again through social media, through all kinds of avenues. We're given promises that we have X, Y and Z. Our lives will be so much better. What happens? The promises are broken and we're looking for more. I've been there, done that, got the t-shirt. I know what it's like. But in Christ, there's a fullness and a richness and a provision that we will never ever tire of that we haven't even begun to enjoy and that is the wonder of believing in him won't you believe won't tonight be the night that you believe what's stopping you is it worth it
believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we are told. And you will be saved. Believe in the only thing worth believing. In that glorious truth that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever, whoever you included believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. May that be your testimony, dear friend, and not rest until it is, because time is also short and eternity is also long. Let us pray.